Two hunters are reported missing in Bear Mountain National Forest. The Midwest sees the worst drought in 30 years. Civil unrest is imminent. The Northeast power grid has blacked out. Economists fear the worst with falling markets. In other news, the pandemic has gone global. Survival Tech. Welcome to the newly evolved Survival Tech podcast. This is episode 25, and we're running a new format on that. And with me today is Corey, of course. And uh, we've got some of our new co-hosts that we had talked about. Um, we've got Dave, Dave Mack, and uh, uh, Ohio Beagler, otherwise known as Sean. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good, good guys. Now, we had talked about on the last episode that you know, Survival Tech, the old format, is dead. That was going to be our last episode like that. Our new format is going to be as follows. Um, what we have is we have a roundtable, a revolving roundtable of different um, co-hosts with us. Um, how many guys do we have total, Corey? I think there's 10, 10 total including us, so there's eight other co-hosts. And each one of those co-hosts, they bring something specific to the table, uh, different expertise, different backgrounds, um, different skill levels, um, different ages. So we're going to run the gamut, and they are officially part of the Survival Tech hosting team. So this should be, this should be pretty neat. I just want to say thanks to all the, uh, you know, new hosts, and I'm uh, really looking forward to this, and it's going to be uh, fun and exciting. Yeah, now you're going to notice that the quality of our show, um, Corey and I, we used to run Skype. Um, we're actually going to utilize our conference calling software. Um, that's the only way that we can really get everybody, um, everybody together um, at the certain times, you know, whether it be you know, somebody driving home, you know, from wherever or, you know, somebody's out doing something, you know, to be able to make it the best time, we can just, you know, call up on the phone. So our podcast quality will go down a little bit because we're not utilizing Skype. Um, we can, on special occasions, you know, with people that, that have the uh, uh, both the hardware and the software download and all, but for the most part, I think we're going to be running our shows like this, so hopefully everybody can bear with us and you know look past the quality issue and you know dig deeper into you know the actual topics that we're going to be discussing. Um, I don't think the quality is, is really that bad, so uh, you know it's, it's more than bearable. So anyway, let's uh, go ahead and get into it. Corey, do you have a list of the hosts? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are, and no, I do not. <laughs> okay, because I would like to, um, and of course, there's you know, Sean, there's Sean, there's Dave Mack, um, there's also Dave in the forums, um, 
you can tell by who's a host by if you go into the members area, um, they're going to have moderator status. Um, there's Peter Brusso. Um, so there's four right there. There's also uh, Andy Hardy, Hardy uh, Tim Tay, and Trail Rat. And those are the eight guys. Yep, I think that's it. Yep. So, and then Corey and I rounding it out. We're going to be the anchors for each show, but um, we've already got shows planned out for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, there, there's going to be some good ones. We're going to be sprinkling in hunting shows. So, uh, you know, this is uh, this is actually what 25 is going to be about. Um, we're going to be doing some, uh, you know, basic talking about some of the but some of the scouting and, and hunting bags and, um, you know, kind of getting ready for hunting season because it's, uh, well, we've already got some game that's in season right now in Ohio. And, uh, but we're going to be sprinkling in more specific hunting shows as we go. And, uh, you know, we're going to kind of toggle back and forth between, you know, survival shows and then, uh, you know, we're going to get into hunting shows too because, you got to survive. You got to eat. So, well, Corey, let's go ahead and uh, jump into the intel report. In the intel report today, all I have is the uh, new members. So I'd like to welcome our new members: uh, Dead Guy from the Pacific Northwest, uh, Pat Fitzy from Rhode Island, and Malachi God from Northern California. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the forum. Um, you guys have been putting out some uh, good posts already. Uh, Pat, I want to thank you for your um, app uh, post that you put out there. I think Matt's going to get into a little more of that um, in just a few minutes. So uh, just uh, keep it up and uh, look forward from hearing everyone and uh, their comments and suggestions. Yeah, I think we're up to 83 members now. So that's great. Um for the membership contest, I went ahead and added you guys last night, and uh, yes, you guys were part of it, because since I dropped the ball, no problem, um, but let's go ahead, and we'll talk about the membership contest number four, and then we'll talk about uh, the app that Pat Fitzy had brought up, and then uh, we'll get into hunting bags, you know. Um, as far as the membership contest number four... It was for a, uh, a keychain fob, and it was a uh, aluminum uh, survival tech water bottle. So, would like to thank you know everybody for you know joining the members area. The only way that you could win was to be a member. So, um, um, I think from here on out we're we're going to kind of do more of the contests where it's going to be you have to do something to get something because. Uh, um, you know, when we were looking for, you know, different ways to choose a winner, we actually went back to pull a name out of a hat. Um, I had printed off the uh, membership pages and cut them off into little squares, and uh, I let my son actually pick them out of a hat. So without further ado, um, the winner of membership contest number four for the water bottle and the key fob um, it's Belinda. So she was one of our, our first members, and and uh, you know, our, this is our first female winner. 
So thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we'll be getting your water bottle out to you. Now, as far as the apps, um, that fist he had brought up before, what was the name of it again? user. It's Prep and Pantry. Okay. So the name of the iPhone app that he brought up in the, in the forums was Prep and Pantry. And... I don't have it pulled up with me. Corey, can you go the, ahead and read the it? The 499 app. Uh, okay. Uh, on the iPhone, I don't have it pulled up either. But what it is is you can take your iPhone, and once you have this app, you can scan all your grocery items, and it will automatically make an inventory list and will also put in the, or you can put in, I'm not sure if you have to put it or automatically, I'm sure you have to put it in, um, the expiration date and it keeps track of everything that you have in your pantry and in different locations. So if you have food just for your prepping, you know, in a certain room, you can set that up as a location. You can set up your regular food pantry and your refrigerator as a location, um, your hunting bag as a location. And then anytime something is going to, you know, get to be going past due or um, ready to expire, um, I believe it will let you know so you know what's going to be, you know, going bad. You can also, um, when you use an item, scan the barcode, and it will remove it from your list and it will automatically create a shopping list for you um, when you're getting low on a certain item. So that's about the basics of a prep and pantry. I should get that for my wife. Just for yeah, random grocery shopping. I mean that that'd be <laughs> that'd be very convenient just in that sense. I mean you'd just have an ongoing grocery list. Yeah, and you can also use um something that does not have a barcode, you can either create a generic barcode or just use a description of the product. Um and it'll read everything from, you know, the what those those Q C barcodes, the regular barcodes, there's multiple different formats that it'll read. It seems pretty cool. I'm thinking about getting it just, you know, for the house and to help with my preps since I'm slowly, you know, getting them up to where I want them to be. But uh, I think it'd be a, you know, it's a good thing to keep track of where everything is and and what what you have on hand and what's going bad and you know what you need and and you can use it for medical supplies or you know just about anything. So you can keep track of all your items. As long as we don't have an EMP and you you know lose your phone, <laughs> you're right. Now, I wonder if uh, if you can export out because some of the some of the other ones that I found, you're able to actually export out, and uh, you can email that to yourself. Um, and after after you email it to yourself, and then you know, open it up and print it. So. Yeah, this will email uh, to you. And you can okay. also export it to, uh, you know, like Excel spreadsheets and stuff. Perfect, man. Perfect. The one that I found, um, there's quite a few, is, you know, if, if you go into the Google Marketplace uh, for Android, and, uh, and that's, that's where I go for my apps, uh, you type in pantry, search. Um, there's one that comes up. It's called Camel, or it's called My Pantry Free. And... Um, it's by Camel Droid. Uh, pretty much does the same thing. Um, the paid version, which I believe is 99 cents, um, 
it actually allows you to scan, um, and you can you can you know pull it in that way. Um, but I was playing with it. You, know, you can go in and and you can either you know create it by voice or you can you know actually text it. You know text type it in. Works pretty much the same way as uh, as the uh, iPhone app that Pat Fitzy had brought up. Um, but it's just free and it's for Android. Um, so, you know, definitely check it out. I think, I think that could be, uh, you know, something that, that, you know, even wish lists, you know, as you're out shopping or whatever, you know, you can either scan something in or you can go ahead and just type it in, you know, where you can get it or whatever and, uh, you know, price and, you know, you can you know, slowly use it as a checklist to, you know, get some preps, um, you know, how you can use it for um, Christmas lists and everything else. So I mean, you know, it's 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 not too bad. It's not too bad. Um, but uh, you know, I would I would definitely check that out. You know, it's, it's just as what everybody you know says about me, I look for the free stuff. Um, it seems like this, you know, even, although it's free, you know, this seems like you know it might be a good one to you know check out too for the Android users. So the only thing is, Corey, maybe uh, maybe we get into the forums and we add if we find any free ones for iPhones. So yeah, Dave, we lose you here, Dave. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Hey, no Howdy. problem, no problem. All right. Well, I think uh, I think the Intel report's done. You know, well, you know, thanks again, Belinda. Um, Congratulations! You uh, you won the water bottle. Let's uh, go ahead and move on. Corey, why don't you go ahead and uh, take the reins and start talking about what we're going to talk about in episode 25. Real quick, I want to bring up one other thing. I want to thank Ty for supplying the um, the key fobs, and mm-hmm. I want to thank uh, Mike from My Imprint Studios for the uh, water bottle, and one other. Exposure 9 put out a uh, forum post about Revolution on NBC, which starts uh, Monday night, uh, Monday, September 17th um, on NBC. It's about a uh, post-apocalyptic look. Um, What happened during it, I watched the uh, preview on YouTube, and uh, what happens is, you know, there's something that happens and it's pretty much like an EMP. The entire world goes dark, no electronics work, um, and now they're trying to to survive. And it starts off with, uh, you know, a family that um, somehow is in the mix of why the power went out, and, uh, you know, it you know it tries to go on from there. One of the, It's like 15 years later, and, uh, you know, they're trying to survive, and... Um, one of the, the main characters, she seems to be trying to find her uncle for some reason. That's about all I got out of it. But it uh, it really uh, grabbed my attention, and uh, I'll, I'll be watching it tomorrow night. That's cool. That sounds good, man. Yeah, I um, also want to bring up the cleansed again, since you brought that up. Um, if you guys are looking for you know other podcasts, um, it's like an old radio drama. Um, you know, it's it's. It's pretty decent. It's uh, it's well produced, and uh, you know it's got a good story behind it. So if you're looking for something else, you know, as you're sitting there working or you know working out in the garage or whatever, and you know, you're tired of listening to radio, um, 
you can pull up the cleanse and download the episodes, um, and uh, you can you can check it out. It's it's pretty good. It's a pretty good post-apocalyptic, um, you know, kind of you know fuel shortages and stuff like that. So um, you know, not too far off from you know, what we could face. And then uh, also Tom Hanks. I checked it out a little bit last weekend. Believe it or not, Tom Hanks on Yahoo. Um, uh, I think he partnered with Yahoo. It's actually called Tom Hanks Electric City, and it's a it's a web-based series. It's a cartoon. It's all animated, and it's voiced by Tom Hanks and a you know a couple other people, and it's post-apocalyptic. And so that's kind of neat. I watched a few few of the episodes. They're right around like five minutes each, um, but I watched a few of them while I was doing dishes last weekend. So. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, check that one out, too. You know, it might strike your fancy. So, All right. Well, uh, this episode is about um, your overall hunting gear and scouting and what you the, – the tactic to uh, scouting. Um, Matt just said something about when you're working in the garage, which brought me up – made me think of something else, which also goes in with my scouting. Um my, I got my Land Cruiser running yesterday, so I'm pretty proud about that. It hasn't ran in like five years, I think, and uh, um, a little bit of starting fluid, and, and I got her going. Uh, I got good compression, so I'm excited to get it. I got the roof all tore off of it, and uh, going to go out and tear the interior out today. So um, trying to trying to get it back ready so I can use it for scouting and uh, just fun, really. But... <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome, buddy. So very cool. When we talk about scouting, you know, scouting for different species, the only one that I scout for is deer. Um, now, waterfowl is it's nice to scout to know where they are and where you're going to set up, but I really haven't had too many locations that weren't somebody else has already established that I've hunted at. Um, so I haven't really done a lot of scouting for waterfowl. The only thing I've really scouted for has been deer. And my main way of scouting that I've been using is my trail camera. I set it up at the uh, end of July, beginning of August, and let it run all the way through hunting season. This year I caught uh, some pretty good photos. I'll uh, upload those up with the uh, show notes. Um uh, out where, uh, which is my grandparents' house, is, is where I'm hunting. Um, but I go out there, you know, when I set up my camera, when I check my camera, that's the only time I really scout. I go up, you know, up in my tree stand. I got a 15-foot, uh, two-person tree stand. Um, I go up in there, I sit, I look around, I see, you know, what shooting lanes I may have, which way they're going to be coming in, if anything's in my way, and I try to clear it out earlier in the season so it doesn't, you know, look like it's been tampered with right when they're coming through. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. The uh, scouting is one of those things. Trail cameras, the evolution of those things are fantastic as far as that goes. Um, they have them moderately priced these days. You can go anywhere from you know, sky's the limit. You can spend 60 bucks, or you can spend $300, you know what I mean? Um, I think they all pretty much do the same thing. You're going to get different quality of megapixels and whatnot. But trail camera is the way to go. It's just, 
you got to have the budget, and uh, you got to have a place where it's private land, or else your stuff will come up missing. Really, I, I didn't know stuff comes up missing when you're uh, hunting somebody else's property. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I've had several different trail cams, and I prefer the ones with the infrared flash because it doesn't spook the deer. Um, I've had uh, the, I think they're wildlife view, they're cheapy, uh, what is it, 35 millimeter, the camera ones. I've had two of those. Those have been the best cameras that I have bought. I don't think you can even buy them anymore because you can't find anybody that develops um, film anymore. But uh, those actually lasted a, a real long time, so great pictures, but it was always a pain in the ass going down and getting it developed and, you know, back and forth. Um, I bought, let's see, two years ago I bought a trail cam. I'm trying to think of the high-end one, too. I want to cut it back, but uh, what was it? Moultrie. It was a Moultrie infrared, beautiful camera. Paid big bucks for it. Um, the, I put it out there, and within a month, it was, I put it out probably about the end of July, here out of my place. And about a month into it, the front display went. It, it just it, it wasn't. You couldn't see anything on the front display, but you could still hook it up, pull the card. You still had pictures, still done all that stuff. Which okay, fine. I'll live with that. Well, about a month after that. The infrared went out on it, so it wouldn't even shoot any photos at night. It was just it was like a white flash at night because the infrared's out of it. And I, I think we paid oh god, it was it was just shy of two hundred dollars, and the thing was a total piece of shit. I, I I don't know what I'd get now. I read a lot of reviews because I'd like to get some, but once again, you're always afraid it is going to come up missing. But uh, I, I don't think the megapixels really makes that big of a difference because it's it's a photo of a deer, you know, at night, whatever. We're, we're not talking like we're going to publish these photos, but it's just more to see what's out there than anything else. So the lower quality cameras, in my opinion, are probably the the better ones to buy. I mean, it's cheaper for you, and who cares if it's not, you know, publishable quality photos. Yeah, yeah micro camera. I had a uh, Moultrie. Um, it's just the D40. It's got the regular flash. It doesn't have infrared. Um, I think I paid 80 bucks for it. This is my third or fourth season using it. This year, my front display went out, um, so I can't see anything. I can't see the battery life on it, um, but it's lasted me three or four seasons, and I never had a problem with the flash. Or it never seemed to be a problem that the, the flash spooked the deer. Not saying that it didn't. But uh, I have mine set on three shots, you know, multiple shots. So when it shoots, it takes three pictures at a time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I seem to get, you know, deer all three at night. It's not like, you know, like I'm spooking them. But then again, the camera's, you know, pretty quick too. Um, so it, it may be. But um, I, I, even though mine's only an $80, I bought the, uh, the expensive $50 security case that locks. Um, and then it is uh, – a big cable uh, wrapped around the tree, and then uh, it's locked. So, um, and it's only at my grandparents. But you know, last year when I got to my tree stand, um, I found a uh, man and a son up sitting in my tree stand when I got to it. So, uh, you yeah, know, that's not real cool. Friends. No. So uh, even though it's you know my grandparents, you still got to worry about it getting stolen. And even though it's eighty dollars, that's eighty dollars. You know, I don't have every week to go buy a new camera. Right. 
I noticed that a lot of guys, I, I've seen pictures because I'm on the Ohio Game Fishing website, OGF, a nice informative website. goes from anywhere from, you know, fishing reports in the Ohio area, central Ohio, you know, people give out good tips. There's a hunting, there's a small game, there's a marketplace, good place to buy guns too. A marketplace is, you know, they got some cheap guns on there people just try to sell. But uh, I, I, I've noticed on there a lot of guys will hang the camera up in the air and face it downwards. And I, I think by doing it that way, you still get your picture of your deer, but it's out of somebody's eye view. Kind of, They put it like five, six feet up in a tree or eight feet up in a tree and kind of angle it down. So I think once you get it out of, outside of somebody's eye view, you have a less chance of it getting ripped off. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a great tip. Um, the game cam that I use is a, it's a hand-me-down. Um, I used it last year. Um, the, the previous owner, which is my brother-in-law, he, um, he used it for three or four years before that. Um, it's just a wild game innovation. So I think it's a three megapixel. It's either two megapixel or three megapixel. Um, and it... It does have the um, IR flash, but as far as what, what surprised me about it is the battery life. Um, it does take 4C batteries. Um, I went down to our local Big Lots and uh, got Fuji, Fuji brand um, uh, alkaline batteries. And um, believe it or not, I I put it up late um, in the season. Um, about mid-October last year, uh, with fresh batteries and everything, and uh, you know, kept going out and swapping out memory cards. But as far as the batteries, it kept checking battery life, and uh, I didn't take it down until March um, of this year, and uh, I still had about 50% battery life. So I was pretty impressed with that. Um, the uh, the pictures that I did get, um, you know. They're, they're nothing great, but I was able to tell, you know, size, rack, everything, you know, that it's really needed. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, catching the pattern. That's what you're doing when you're scouting. Catching the pattern and, and knowing when, you know, when the most probable time that they're going to be out there so you can have your best chance of getting the shot. Yeah, the, uh, the whole deal with scouting a place is just, you know, Davey Mack and I, we leased a property this year. It's 84 acres right outside of Newark, which is central Ohio. Licking County is big buck capital of the state. And uh, we leased this property. It's 84 acres. They timbered out. There's only about 35 acres that's actually timber. But they timbered it out about, I don't know, six years ago or so. I mean, it's thick. So you know it's going to be holding deer. The thing that I always try to look for when I'm looking for a hunting place to go is early season, you've got bedding, you got water and you got food. If you got cover, if you got a water source available on the property or near the property, and then where are they eating? By setting up those trail cams and those travel corridors, you know, from the bed to the water, from the bed to the food, you'll kind of get a good idea what's going on on that property and give you a good idea what's going on in your your area. Now, once it starts getting closer to rut you'll see bucks that you've never seen before in your life. And the bucks you've been watching all year, you won't see again. You know, they'll be off chasing does on another property, and there'll be different bucks from another property coming in. 
So by using the trail cam to get a good early season shot is a good way to start patterning the deer before they go nuts out and start chasing those. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I agree. Um, like like Sean said, you know, you can do all the scouting you want. I said, you know, but coming into rut or pre-rut even, they say they say a, a mature male buck has over a ten mile radius before rut. After that, they said they, there's no way of really tracking them. I, I mean, they they run all over the place. You know, they've got other things on their mind. If if you only got it once in a while, like once a year, I guess we'd probably feel the same way about it. But uh. I'm more of a ground and pounder when it comes to scouting. I like going out and checking rub lines and stuff like that. The cameras are nice. I mean, that's the only real way you're going to actually see deer. But you can get a lot of information from going out in the field and actually, you know, putting your feet to the ground while doing some walking around, going out and finding some rub lines, finding, you know, scrape lines, anything like that. You know, it's trails. You can tell when a trail has been pounded, or you can tell when there's a trail that's kind of a fresh trail. It, probably doesn't get used much. I mean, you can tell a big difference. Yeah, I mean, a deer is going to take the easiest route of travel. I mean, if, if they're not going to walk out through the middle of an open field. They will, but not that often. Generally, what you try, you'll find, like, uh, a rub line, like Dave says, is generally right on the edge of a bending area or right on the edge of a, a wood lot. It might even be a fence row that runs through there. They're, not, they're going to try to hold close to cover. But a lot of times when they start to get a little bit of pressure, they'll run just inside of that fence row into the woods or in through the thicket. But they, they, it's, it's easier to walk out through a field, but, you know, they're obviously not the top dog and there are predators out there. But they generally run that, that rub line, like he said, which is on the edge of the woods, or they'll run right inside of that. I guarantee you if you have just a narrow travel corridor, like I'm looking at one now in my backyard, the woods are only about, I don't know, 30 yards wide, and then it opens up in a hard timber on the backside. But they'll run that edge, or they'll run just right inside of that real narrow travel corridor, and that's where the best place to get your camera set up and start getting shots of deer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just hard to pattern something. I mean, when you have the cameras out and whatnot, that's the only way you're physically going to get to see the deer that are on the property. I mean, you'll catch them running away from you if you're out walking around or whatnot. But, uh, I mean, you get a lot of lot of info. And like Sean said, you get into these areas and you can tell where deer are. There's a cornfield and they can walk right out in the middle of the cornfield. But, no, there's a deal trail five yards into the woods running right through it, going through all kinds of gnarly stuff. But, you know, that's how they, you know, that's how big deer get big. They're, they're not dumb. And, you know, you're obviously your best time to catch these bucks with their guard down is pre-rut. Rut, you catch them hold up. I mean, the rut necessarily isn't the best time to be out, I don't think. Pre-rut for me is like Christmas. It's That's the times when you get catch these big deer off their feet. They're, they're on their heels, you know what I mean? They don't know what they're doing. It's, uh, it, like I said, to me it's like Christmas. It's, it's the best time of the year. Um, you see a lot of deer. You'll 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 see more deer. Period. Does and bucks. The does are running from the bucks, and and the bucks are chasing. So, it's a great time of year. It's a, uh, it's that's another good time to be out just scanning for deer. I mean, going around, you know, just having your eyes open, you're listening. You know, it's it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, once once you get into a pre-rut situation, like Dave said, I I'm not. Everybody says hut the rut, hut the rut, hut the rut. 
what will happen is a big buck, well, first of all, it doesn't get big by being stupid like Dave said, but he'll have a harem. He'll have him a couple does that these are my girls and nobody's going to get them. And a lot of times they'll turn nocturnal on you. They'll hold up with these does in a thicket, a bedding area, will not let those does leave to a nocturnal because he doesn't want to stand a chance of those does getting out and getting bred by another buck. So pre-rut is the time when the does aren't quite ready yet, but the bucks will be kind of harassing them, chasing around, kind of like Pepe Le Pew chasing the cat. And that's, that's the best way to explain what happened. I shot a monster several years back that was running a doe. I could have been in that. I was in the tree stand five minutes. But uh, I literally could have been in that tree stand in a fireman outfit doing the Irish jig if you wanted to see me. He had a doe in front of him that was hot, and he, he, had no, he didn't even know I was there until I took a spine out. But uh, that's the best time to get it. It's pre-rut. And they say post-rut's good, too, when the does have been bred. And then the bucks are out looking for other does that have not been bred. Usually the yearling, the younger ones, go into estrus a little bit later. But uh, the post-rut, the problem with the post-rut is here in Ohio, it kicks in about the time gun season kicks in. And once gun season kicks in, if you don't get a deer within the first hour, all you see are tails going about Mach 3. So it really doesn't do you much good. Gun season is a difficult time. There's more gun hunters in the state of Ohio for one week than there is bow hunters that you can hunt all year long pretty much. You can hunt from late September to, what, end of January? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's one week there's more people out. So kind of do the math. That's why I like bow hunting better. That's why. Yeah, I, 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 I call gun season uh, amateur season. It, it's times when guys have never hunted a day in their life. They've never had a hunter safety course. They they hear their buddy talking about going hunting, so they run out and buy a shotgun and get some slugs and put on an orange hat, and now they're hunters. Um, so I'm not a big fan. Of, yeah, I'm not a big fan of. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of shotgun season. I mean, I consider myself an ethical hunter, and the people I hunt around, I consider them to be ethical hunters. But you're not. You can't take the place for everybody out in the woods because most of the time you don't know who in the hell's in the woods. I'm sure we've yeah, all sat in the woods and heard a, a boom, you know what I mean? You're like, who in the hell was that? It's, it's like it's literally 10 feet away from you. And the next thing you know, you're scanning through the woods and you see an orange hat bobbing around. Like, it, it's a dangerous time of the year. I mean, our, the actual fatality rate in Ohio has went down amazingly um, this past year. But, I mean, it's a dangerous time. I mean... That that's the only bad thing about shotgun season, to me. I, and like Sean said, you get in the post rut; it's right when our gun season kicks in. So you have guys every year kill monster bucks during gun season. The problem is, is that they're catching this deer just running for its life, and they make a good shot on it and drop it. Yep. And hey, you know, more power to you. I mean, that's if if you're in that kind of lucky situation. And sometimes I wish I was. I'd take in a heartbeat just like they would. But it's uh what. It's a bad time, and it kind of ruins the rest of archery season. Yeah, what I've kind of learned on gun hunting is if you have, or if you're lucky enough to have a property where you have sole hunting privileges, the best time, the problem is these out-of-state hunters, sorry out-of-state people, but you're all lumped in together, but these out-of-state hunters, or even these local boys, I mean, they they push deer, they, they just do really, really things that you don't do all year round. I mean, it's just unsafe, but it's there seems to be no boundaries when it comes to deer hunting during gun. 
I mean, you yeah, can walk, they'll walk and cross the fence, or, you know, it's just like you can go wherever you want. You can have soul hunting privileges, and the sun comes up, and all of a sudden it looks like a Christmas tree out there with all the hunter orange. But if yeah. you can actually keep people off of your property and keep the pressure real low on your property, the tail end of gun season is actually a good time to go because all those deer are going to be running scared, and they know that, hey, if I go here, I'm not getting chased around. And I've seen a lot of deer at the tail end of gun season out here on my property because we can hammer it out all week. And once you hammer it out, then they're going to leave your property too. But if you just sit back and just be calm about it, they will come to you because they feel safe on your property because they ain't getting pushed. Yeah, you you bring up a lot of good points because um, that's when I try and go out during gun season is towards the end of the week. Um, Just – a lot of it, I don't know if it's, you know, if they do it quite a bit now, but I remember as a boy, um, everybody would go out and they would set up drives. And, man, that scares me. I do not trust drives, you know, because if you're driving one property, who's to say there's not ten guys, uh, you know, on an adjacent property driving towards you? you know, and you guys meet in the middle, and next thing you know you got – uh, you know, drop and fire your muskets at each other. So, I, uh, I don't know that gun season. It, it does scare me. At least with archery, you got a better chance of not getting shot yourself. <laughs> yeah. See, my whole thing during gun is, you know, you you have to sit longer than the last person that gets up. Because what happens? They get up, they start moving deer, and a lot of times, if you just kind of sit back and let them move the deer to you, you don't even have to hunt these guys get impatient, they get cold. If you can outlast them, outset them, you have a really good chance of seeing deer and have a really good chance of harvesting a deer. I agree. I, I agree, absolutely. The, Like I said, I'm not a big advocate of gun season, but I do go out. Um, I like the tradition of it. I mean, that's what I started doing first was gun hunting with, you know, with my mom and grandpa. And But it's just... And, you know, you guys talking about drives, and that's why I gave it up for eight or nine years was because of that. I was out hunting, and we were, there was a group of guys, and a deer run up through the middle of everybody, and I literally had a slug, a one-inch slug from a 12-gauge throw dirt in my face where it hit the ground in front of me and literally threw dirt in my face. Something mm. like that. It's kind of an eye-opener when you have something like that happen. It's kind of a, you know... Is it really worth it? I mean, especially around the, all these other people. These guys I was out with were older. They were, you know, mid-50s yep. guys. But like I said, it's amateur week. These yep. guys go out. They don't hunt anything at all. They go out and buy their, their goddamn hunting license and their deer tag the day before deer season or gun season kicks in, and now they're hunters for a week. And they go out here, and they just shoot at anything that moves. If it's brown, it's down. They don't care what it is. I mean, that's how they play the game. But it's sort of a dangerous game when you play it like that. I've well, seen, you know, I've, I've, I've seen archery guys do that as well. I've been up to Broken Air, which is a local shop. It's a, a bow shop, and they got an archery range and stuff. I was up there. It's been a couple of years ago, and this guy came in, and he bought this little youth bow for his son. It was a compound bow. He, he didn't have enough money to buy the sight, so he bought him, like, three arrows, <laughs> bought him a couple broadheads, and he, he literally grabbed a compound bow. They had their cameras on. and said, well, we're going hunting. This kid has never shot a, a bow in his life. He has no sights, and, I mean, they obviously sold it to him, 
but you could tell they're like, well, shouldn't he shoot this first? Or, you know, nope, nope, we're going. We're we're late for the tree stand. So archery guys do this too, but it's more far a few between when it comes to archery. Archery tends to be a little bit more humane. And I don't want to. I don't want to sound out of line with what I'm saying with all gun hunters, because you know the people I hunt with now don't hunt like that. But you get that every year. I mean, hunting license sales go up. I bet you they would almost double or triple on before the first day of gun season. It's just that's what people do every year. It's just it's dangerous. I just think I think it should be a little more ethical as far as mandatory hunting courses and stuff like that to make sure these people. Or even gun training courses where they, you know, you, you know these people know how to handle a firearm. Well, these guys have never even shot guns. The first time, first deer they see is sometimes the first shot they'll ever take it with a gun. You know, it's just, it gets scary. Yeah. I got a question for you guys. And this, this is an open question, and I'm kind of curious what your guys' response will be to this. In the state of Ohio, you know, anybody can go hunt unless you're, I think, a convicted felon. You can't own a firearm, whatever. You can't get your license. Now, with that being said... I've taken my hunter safety course, and I believe I was in, like, fifth grade. I took it with my best friend at the time and my father. My father already had his, but he went ahead and took it as a refresher and take me, obviously. Well, in the state of Ohio, you don't have to be able to read the test. They'll actually read it to you. Now, do you think that there should be an age limit on when you can get it? Because I kind of personally feel that unless you can – read the rule book, understand what you read, then you you shouldn't you gotta be able to do that before you can go out hunting. I don't know what the magical age is, but I I, I guess I don't under what do you guys think? There's should there be an age limit or an age group you have to be say ten years old or you have to be able to read it yourself and you know take the test yourself. What do you guys think? I I don't know that that's that's a hard one. Um, I myself, I think you should be able to um, be able to read the rule book. You know, it doesn't matter necessarily what age. Um, you know, because there are some you know bright kids that are eight nine years old and they they know it, they get it, they've been around it forever. You know, they you know they're they're good kids. Uh, there's some that you know are slackers and they're just going out with. You know, their dad and their uncle, and they're going to shoot whatever, you know, and they're going to be trained by, you know, the guys that are, are going to be the unethical hunters that, you know, we're talking about now. And they're going to grow up to be the unethical hunters, you know, then. I myself, I think if you can read the rule book, you know, and you can take your test on your own, then I don't see a problem with it. The only issue is, you know, you've got the apprenticeship program because when I was a kid, um, you know, similar situation with you, Sean. Um, in fact, Corey's got similar situation. You know, Dad took me first. You know, I was older. Um, Corey was still too young. But, you know, Dad took yeah, me out. Yeah, plus Corey's a Yahoo, too, so that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Dad took us out. You know, we did the hunter safety course. He did it with me. Um, you know, the father-son bonding time, you know, which a lot of kids are lacking here lately. Uh, it's kind of a shame, but, uh, you know, it's, it's father-son. You know, we went through. We had firearms training on site. Um, you know, as they were grading our tests, it was like, it was like uh, two and a half days, I believe it was, back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. Two days was set up for, you know, actual book work. 
safety, you know, learning. I mean, how they even went into, you know, processing different games, you know, how, how you're going to field dress it. And uh, you know, we, we got into it pretty good. And then that, that third day you took your test and then you went out and you started doing scenarios and you actually, you know, shot different, different types of guns. Um, practice with the safeties, um, you know, the different actions, so you actually understood, you know, what you were going to buy um, or what you already had. Um, but I want to say I was probably, you know, 10, 11 years old, you know, when I went through that. But um, we could go hunting with our parents before that, but we couldn't carry a gun or anything else like that. But now there's an apprenticeship program where you can, what is it, two or three seasons, I think, don't quote me. Don't quote me. Okay, where you can actually take your kid out with you, and as long as you pay the money, um, you know they can take the shot and everything. I don't think you can carry. You can't carry. So you know it's it's solely up to them, but they are under your direct supervision at all times. You know that works. You know for some people. You know I've even thought about it. You know with my stepson, um, he's still pretty young, but far as gun safety and everything else, I've instilled it in him so much. And I, I, I would probably take him um, under the apprenticeship program archery rather than gun. But you know, especially for deer, um, and for the most part, you know, it was, you know, even with our dad, it was, you know, you hunt small game first, and then you move up. Single shot, four you can do. hunting rabbits. That's right, rabbits and squirrels. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and, and that's how we started. And then, you know, if you want to move up, then that's your choice, and we'll go from there. But, you know, I mean, you know, we we didn't go out, you know, deer hunting. It was all small game for a long time. Um, you know, Corey, same way. You know, Dad took the hunter safety course again with with uh, Corey. Um, so. You know, I don't know. It, it, it's a it's a fence that that could go either way. You know, you could slip off the fence either way. I myself, I, if you're going to be responsible enough to take the life of an animal, you should be responsible enough to be able to read the rules and regulations of the state that you're living in to be able to do that. Well, so the reason why I brought that up is I got a, a buddy of mine into hunting several years ago, and I actually took the hunter safety course again with him. You know, he was getting his two boys into it. He himself was getting into it. And he was an adult, responsible hunter. But uh, the reason why I brought that up is when we were over there taking the course, when it came to test day, there was like, I don't know, there was one man there that was illiterate, so they wrote it to him, which is fine. You know, that's that, that happens, and I understand that in that situation. But there was several kids, or I would say five or six kids, that they had to read the test to them. Now, I'm sure the kids knew what they were doing, and obviously they probably passed the test, but these children were probably, I don't know, anywhere from five to six, seven years old. And that's and, and to me, I mean, they were little. They're, they're the same age as my daughter almost. And it, it just, I don't know, it just kind of, I wasn't sure how to feel about that. That's why I brought that scenario up to you guys. I'm going to have to put you down here real quick because cup of coffee and uh, Taco Bell last night. I'll, uh, I got something to do, but I'll be back here shortly. Sounds good. Corey, what do you think about that? Because I've, you know, I've, I've got you know, my nine-year-old stepson, and then I also have you know, my five-year-old. 
my five-year-old, we go out shooting, and and we do you know gun training and everything else at this young age. Um, I'll probably take them out in the woods, you know, maybe just you know, you know, go pop some squirrels or whatever. He will not be hunting though; he will just be with me. As far as hunter safety course, you know, it's coming up. You know that we're going to have to make a decision and everything. Um, you know, here soon. You know, with our boys. Um, you know, and and Dave, you know, let's go ahead and get yours because you have a four-year-old as well. Um, you know, what's what's your guys' thoughts on it? Well, I want to start my kids younger than what I started. You know, I was probably ten or eleven when I went and got mine. It was a couple years after you with Dad. Dad retook it with me, um, but I didn't do much. I made the mistake and didn't embrace it like I should have been. Uh, I was too big into video games, and, and pretty much that was it. And I regret that now. I haven't really started hunting until five years ago. And five years ago when I started hunting, um, I started with waterfowl. Um, you know, did some rabbit and stuff, but uh, never really got a whole lot. Um, but waterfowl I, I was doing, you know, quite often with a, a friend of mine. And then I started going deer hunting on my own. Um, he we he took me out one time uh, during gun season to uh, his uncle's place, um, but we never saw anything. So other than that, I've had to learn deer hunting all on my own. So I'm you know really it's just trial and error for me, and you know, talking to people and, and listening to people and and things like that, um, which has helped me a lot. Um, I have you know. We have a cousin that is really big in archery deer hunting, and uh, some friends of mine that I go to uh, work with. Um, one guy is uh, grew up in West Virginia, and he's in his mid fifties. Um, you know, he was hunting archery. You know, before there was tree stands, before you know there was a bunch of stuff down there. They were making their own tree stands, and and you know he's got a lot of experience, and you know, so. I want to start my kids out younger than what I did and actually out there. But I think they need to be able to read and understand the rule books, you know, of hunting. And I try to teach them now, you know, little by little, because it's amazing how much they pick up on now, you know, so they'll be kind of ahead of the game, I want to say. But I think before they actually hunt, I want them to be, you know, 8, 10 years old, probably closer to 10 than. 12, I mean, I say that now, but I want them to be out there and, you know, hunting as soon as possible, that, you know, father-son bond. But at the same time, I want them to do it humanely and, you know, ethical to the deer and, um, you know, not be one of those crazy guys out there with a shotgun or, you know, sneaking into someone else's tree stand during deer season like what happened to me last year with your man and the son. Well, I, th- and, I think a lot of it is um, – is how we raise our kids, you know, to get them into it. Because, like with Will, uh, that's my son. He's five. Uh, we were watching a movie last night. Um, it was a John Belushi movie called The uh, Continental Divide. Pretty good movie. We are sitting back just watching it. And these, these poachers were shooting um, uh, bald eagles and everything. And Right there, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, my my son's like, you know, you, you can't do that. I said, that's very good. You can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? And I'm asking him, you know, why can't you shoot, you know, animals like that? And he goes, 
because you're not going to eat it. You know, hunting, you know, hunting for food is one thing, and I think it, I don't know, I think it instills a better, um, now don't get me wrong, you know, trophies are great, you know, especially if you can bag the big one, you know, but if you're going out to actually eat it too, you know, and that's the understanding behind it, I think that helps out. Yeah, I think no, that, might- uh, I'm back. But uh, I, I think that when it comes to an age group, you got to understand, I, I, for you guys out there, I am a major, major, major bow hunter, and I've been bow hunting for probably, oh, I'd say every bit of 15 years. Um, matter of fact, I've only shot two deer with a gun, but I, I can't tell you how many deer that I've shot, probably upper teens. But they've all been with my bow. But you still, when you shoot an animal, you take the life of that animal. That animal is alive, whether it be a rabbit, whether it be a squirrel, whether it be a grouse, deer, whatever. You literally just killed something. And until a child, or an adult for that matter, understands that, you know, you just, I've never once shot a deer that I'm all pumped, jazzed, all excited, so I get up on that dead deer. And I, I get excited about the hunt. I get excited about the harvest. But I still feel I just killed something. You know, and until you get kind of sad about that, or when you shoot a deer and you don't care, maybe it's time to hang up hunting because you just took that spirit out of that animal. So unless you understand that, then I, I, I don't think you should be able to hunt or, you know, it, you shouldn't hunt. Yeah, my, you know, I've only been hunting for five years, deer hunting, well, mainly any hunting, and, you know, my son, my oldest is five years old. Um, so he's growing up with his dad going hunting every every season. But, you know, he obviously I wouldn't take him at five. Um, I wouldn't take him. He wouldn't be hunting at five. Now, this year I thought about setting up a blind and just having him sit out there with me um, just to learn it. Um, but, you know, like I said before, I, I, you know, I hope to have my kids start younger than I did and to appreciate it and to enjoy it. Um, in a lot younger age and, you know, from what I am. But I had to teach everything to myself. I had, you know, really no one to show me because by the time I started hunting, I, you know, I was 22 years old. And I, I think I missed out a lot by, you know, waiting so long and not having someone, you know, teach me. So, I, you know, I'm still trying to learn how to, you know, do my calls correctly. And I listen to YouTube and, you know, you know play with my calls and, um, sometimes I, I sound decent, other times I sound like, you know, I'm a dying goat and I'm trying to call on a buck, but, um, you know, it just is one of those things that, you know, I never had any real experience and, you know, I buy equipment and then I use it and it's like, well, I really don't like that. I have a, um, a rattle bag that I've been using. That's what I bought when I first started. And, uh, I really don't care for the rattle bag. I think I'd rather have, you know, actual antlers to rattle. Um, than the rattle bag. I just, um, I guess after, you know, five years of doing it, either one, I'm not doing it right, but I'm not seeing any results when I do it. Uh, or two, maybe it's just the, the sound or, or, you know, a combination of everything. So I would like to get my, my kids to learn it sooner than I did. Um, but as far as an age, I think they should definitely be able to read and understand it, you know, on their own. And I still think that they should, you know, hunt with a, um, a reliable adult 
I, I guess you could say, you know, someone that, you know, understands what they're doing and taking of a life, you know, even though it, you know, it is an animal, it's still taking a life. And uh, being able to to do it humanely and ethically so that the deer is not suffering. Um, I've had many chances to date, take deer. Um, I've had several of them come in, but I didn't feel comfortable with the shot. Um, one of the first seasons I was out, um, it was probably my second or third time up in my tree stand. And I had this uh, six-point walk in on me, and he, you know, walked straight in on me. Um, didn't never turn broadside, and I, you know, I thought I would have a shot. And I raised up um, with a bow, a crossbow. I have a Horton SL crossbow. Um, but you know, reading and learning and talking to people, I know that you know a straight-on shot with a bow is, is not a good thing. I, I wouldn't have killed it. He would have just suffered. Um, and I didn't take the shot, and I didn't see another deer uh, for, well, nothing came in close for another two years. Um, I finally moved my tree stand to a better spot, and last year I had uh, three or four does come in. Um, one, I was half asleep when it came in, so I didn't get my bow in time. Um, and then I had a late deer season. Um, it was the second weekend. Uh, because Ohio has a, an extra weekend in December, um, I had a doe come in, or I'm sorry, I had a buck come in, um, but I never cleared my shooting lane from that area. I never expected them to come in that side, and I never had a shot. And I wasn't shooting with a shot or hunting with a shotgun. I was hunting with a you know 44 Magnum Smith and Wesson 629 with a six and a half inch barrel, um, just to be different because I don't, I, I never deer hunting with, you know, a shotgun, and I don't have a slug barrel for my shotgun, so I just decided, you know, try a pistol, and um, there was about a six-inch tree branch in my way, and I, you know, didn't take the shot, um, so you got to be able to be, you know, ethical when you take your shot, and, you know, be humane about it, because you don't want to just wound the deer and have it run off, and then, you know, just say, well, you know, that one will die, I'll just wait for the next one, because, you know, if you shoot it, you should make a, a attempt to try and locate it and find it and, you know, harvest the deer correctly. I, I believe, you know, you shouldn't just shoot it and if it gets away from you, well, you know, chalk it up as a learning experience and just sit there and wait on the next one. Yeah, I uh, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to get the trifecta. I got one with the bow, one with the shotgun, one with the muzzleloader. Um, I was all excited about that. I want to get one with a pistol because I just think that would be kick-ass. I should be able to shoot one with a pistol, but I'd have a hard time hitting my house from five feet away with a pistol, so I won't take a pistol out. Um, we kind of got off topic a little bit, but uh, when, I enter, when I archery hunt, I have a Horton Hawk SL. It's probably the same one you got, Corey. And I shoot Rage Broadheads. Now, I have tried so many different broadheads. I'm not a big fan of the mechanical broadhead that opens up. Um, the Rage is a slip broadhead where it slips open, and what's the cutting diameter on full open, Dave, in like three inches or something? No, I think it's like uh, 2.3 inches or something like that. It's a pretty good yeah, slice. Yeah, it just looks like a hell of a hole. It looks like somebody, once you skin out your deer, it looks like somebody just shoved a machete through the middle of it. It's only a two-blade, but I've had really good luck with that. Um, in my bag, I carry I carry a rattling bag or antlers. I don't hold much salt with that. I mean, you watch these hunting shows that they rattle in. Every time they hit the horns, here comes all these bucks running. Well, what I found out over the years is the deer, when the buck-to-doe ratio is pretty square, which 
around this, you know, neck of the woods, it is not. There's probably does every buck. Um, the bucks are a little bit more apt to come in and fight because they want that doe for themselves. Some of these big bucks around here during rut, they already got five, six, seven does around. Why do they want to leave their does to fight where somebody else can come in and breed them? That's probably why you've had issues with hitting your rattle bag. It, it's not probably what you're doing. It's just rattle bags doesn't really work. Um, you will pull deer in, but it's generally like the satellite bucks, which are the real small. First deer I ever shot, I rattled in. But it was just a real small basket rack, eight point, tiny, tiny, tiny deer. But the first deer I ever saw. Um, I carry a uh, bone collector grunt call. It's got a sort weave on the bottom. It's kind of like a homer. I, I'm, I'm a homer when it comes. I, I, I don't like buying name brand stuff. But it has good, good, uh, sounds good, and it works. And I always carry a little can, which is the dope bleed. But I, I know Dave's, Dave's pretty much similar to what I carry. But he also shoots a Matthew crawl, or a compound. Yeah, I, I like my bow. It's a, it's a nice bow. Um, my bag, I, I pretty much carry, I have binoculars that I put in my bag. I have Windicator, which is just a, basically to me it's just like a, a baby powder that's scentless that you just squeeze out of thing and it kind of gets your wind direction. And, you know, hunting stands with, and, and accounting for wind direction is another big part of, hunting, but that could be a topic for another day. Um, you know, I carry pencil or pen, stuff like that, you know, because you've got to be able to fill your tag out on site. Uh, Ohio tags suck now. Yeah, they're terrible. That could be another topic, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could probably go off for a good hour tangent on that. Um, you know, I carry some type of cutting device, knife for obviously getting the deer. I carry real long plastic gloves I put on when I'm getting my deer because I don't like getting nothing on me. <laughs> you liar. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do know people that do that. It's uh, pretty comical to watch. If, if you're that worried hey, about getting blood on you, you shouldn't it. be hunting. Um, you know, I, I carry typical stuff that I think anybody carries. You know, I, you know one thing I'm going to start carrying now at this point is going to be a map of the properties that I'm on. Um, you know, the technology today with, like, Bing and Google and stuff like that with these, you know, actual bird-eye views and stuff like that, the technology of having a map of of your plot of land or area that you're hunting is, I think, is, is a really good tool to have in your bag. I mean, just something to look at. You can kind of scout stuff out. You can say, well, I think this deer probably ran over and hit this trail over here, you know, or just stuff like that. I think it's a pretty cool thing to have. Um, you know, yeah, you can always get, if, if there's multi people hunting it, you can say, okay, well, you're going to be over here, I'm going to be here, you know, there's going to be no bad, like, you don't shoot my direction, stuff like that, you know, you got that kind of tool. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, that's pretty much just, you know, I think everyday stuff that people carry. I've got a, I got a rattling rack, it's like a, it's like a, pla it's gray, it's like a plastic thing, I can't think of the actual name of it, but uh, you just kind of beat it around, and yeah, I wouldn't put too much heart into it either, Corey, the rattling thing is kind of a, it's not like on TV you slap these antlers around. Next thing you know, like this monster comes in, your cameraman's pointing it out to you. You know what I mean? It's a little different than that, I think, around here. Um, I do the same thing as Sean. People get dirty yeah, because they watch hunting on TV. Yeah. You know, the normal hunter don't do that. Those deer are engineered. Those deer are bred. 
who's here at a ranch. Those people do your scout work. Those people do everything you want. Put you in a stand where you're going to see that deer and you're going to get that shot and get shoot yeah. this monster buck so they get you know like big praises on the TV world. People want to go there and hunt monster deer. But I mean, when you when you've got two does and thirty bucks, it's not that hard to rattle something in because they're after one thing and they want to fight for something too. So I mean, it's around here you don't have that kind of population. I mean, it, this is the this is the real world to be honest with you. You're not going to just every time you hit your can, here comes a buck. You know what I mean? It's not going to work like that. But, you know, I carry all that stuff, too. It's more of a, you know, because I have called deer in with stuff, like especially the doe bleed or something like that. I mean, you can get you can get deer to come in, and but it's not like on TV, and nobody should think that it is because it's not, unless yeah, you have that type of ranch world. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um but, you know, I carry basically probably the same stuff everybody else carries. Um, I can't think of anything out of the ordinary that I would carry that that nobody else would have, I guess. I mean, and Corey, he, he bow hunts too, so he could probably add to the fact that maybe he's got something that, you know, me and Sean didn't mention. I mean, really in my bag, like what you guys say, you know, you got pen, pencil. Uh, I carry, you know, some paracord. Um, just, you know, because I've gotten out there and the rope that I had, uh, to raise and lower my bow and my gear up, you know, was broke. Um, trying to retie it up. Um, That's a good idea, actually. Because I don't want to, you know, carry, climb my tree stand, you know, carrying my stuff and slip and fall and land on my arrows or anything. So I always hoist everything I have up. I um, agree. And then, uh, you know, I, I use a crossbow. I use a Hawk SL, um, which actually has a – I still have a broken limb on it, and I'm trying to get a hold of Horton. I have to send it back to Horton to have it replaced, and I'm cut, counting my, you know, days here until hunting season. Um, I tried to fill out their their RMA number online, and it's not working, so I have to call them Monday. Uh, I did get an email from them that said they could have it done and returned back to me in five days, so – um, I'm still hoping to make, you know, early season. Um, but I use, uh, you guys both use raised broadheads? Uh, I, I do. my raised broadheads. Yep. It's a slip cam. I mean, it's not a true mechanical. I mean, slip cams, I mean, at least the rage, they're pr- unbelievable. I shot I, a doe last a year with things. Grim Reapers. They're made by Matthews. A nasty, nasty, nasty looking broadhead. But it was a, a true mechanical broadhead. And it was a bad shot on the doe, I, I will admit it, but I hit her in the side of the neck. But, you know, it had roughly a three-inch cut in diameter, so I hit her in the side of the neck. Should have been okay. Well, upon further investigation, I only had one, count it, one razor blade deploy. Um, one broke off, and the other one didn't deploy at all. So she just had one blade run through her. The first time I ever used these, and these are very, very expensive broadheads, and I'll never use them again. Yeah, I, I use just don't um, trust them. NAP uh, blood runners, the three blade blood runners. Yep, that, I've seen uh, them. They're one inch, and then they expand to like an inch and a half. And um, yep. I, I like those so far. I mean, I only got one deer with them, but you know, I like them so far. You know, another thing you can't go wrong with is a fixed blade. I mean. Right. Obviously, you're not going to get the cut and diameter of a Rage or a Grim Reaper or anything like that. But guess what? They work every they time. Work. They work. That's you right. don't have to worry about a mechanical malfunction with a fixed yep. blade. I used to shoot muzzies. I love muzzies. I would still shoot muzzies. 
and yeah, it's it's a fixed blade, and you don't have to worry about you know clipping a limb midair and one blade opens, which throws off your arrow trajectory. It's there. Yep. Oh, another thing I carry in my in my bag, I carry my bowstring wax. I mean, that's just typical. I mean, I guess it could double up as chapstick if you needed it to. <laughs> Yuck. Might <laughs> be a little gritty. Yeah, a little bit. Another thing that I do, I know Dave carries all his, his knife and his pen and all that stuff with him. You always get anxious when you shoot a deer. You want to go up and get your deer. But you're supposed to let it wait. You know, you sit there like, all right, I'm going to have a cigarette and shake for 20 minutes and wait for this, you know, deer to go off and die and not get pushed. What I force myself to do, and my father hates it, is I, I have my license and stuff on me. I have my tag on me. But, see, I leave my knife in the truck, and I leave my pen in the truck because that forces me not to push that deer. I have to walk back to the truck and get the stuff I need to go out and harvest that deer, and that allows me to take the time to walk back and walk back out, and then I can harvest the deer instead of pushing it. That's just the way I do it because I get jumpy, and I have pushed deer before once they've been shot. So by me doing that, it just creates more time it takes me to get to that animal. Yeah, I also carry uh, plastic bags. Once I fill out my tag, I put it inside of a plastic bag, and then I zip tie it to the deer. Um, I do the same thing, actually. I forgot to mention that. That way blood and water or whatever, you know, may be around doesn't destroy my tag. Um, and then I also uh, I bought those field dressing gloves from, like, Meyer or Walmart or someplace like that. And had terrible luck with them. <laughs> so yeah. uh, by the time I was done, I was just barehanding it. And, yeah, uh, you might as well just roll your sleeves up and get in there because, you know, it's, it is what it is. Unless you're sticking your hand up a cow's butt, then you can wear those plastic gloves that come up to your shoulder. But right. I, I just dig in. <laughs> that, yep, that's what I end up doing is just digging in. And uh, the knife that I carry is a... Uh, it's a Gerber Easy Zip Game Cleaning Combo. It has the Easy Saw and the Easy Skinner. And uh, it worked well, but honestly, I pulled out an old buck knife that my dad used to have. It's just a fixed blade, and I used that majority of the time. Um, it just seemed to work better. The the Gerber that I had was just uh, on a too big and bulky and, and couldn't get in the tight places like, like the old buck could. Yeah, yeah I carry a... I'm looking at it now, a Browning Model 750. It's just a real small knife. I'd say it's probably about a five-inch knife, but it's got a hook blade on the back. It's got a real good, this is a heavy plastic grip. I've used that for many, 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 many years. I mean, it's small enough you can use for a rabbit, but it's big enough you can use for a deer. So it's just kind of a smaller knife, but besides cracking the pelvic bone, which I, I've never had real good luck doing, um, it, it's that's I like it. It's, it's small enough, it's compact, it doesn't take up a lot of place. When you're sitting in tree stands, I jab you in the love handle. So that's why I carry a smaller knife. So do I, uh, you guys crack the pelvic bone? Yeah, I will. I, I if, if I have the hatchet, I try. Oh, because I took a hatchet last year, and I, I hacked it. <laughs> and yep. broke it and you know, that's the best thing to do. I've well, gotten in there dollar. where I've literally just went pop and just snapped that thing wide open. I'm going to throw this out to you guys on the website. If any of you have ever used a butt-out tool, please review it for me. I have one, and I never remember to grab it. <laughs> it's an orange butt-out tool. If anybody has used it, please let me know how it works. Yeah, because I've always wondered that, too. Um, my bag, um, you know, I, it, it's kind of funny. You know, I, haven't, I haven't interjected any because you guys carry the same stuff that I carry. Um, you know, with I think that it's pretty standard. Tall, 
Yeah, yeah, that, you know, everybody goes out and gets yep. that $17 Flexstone. phone collector call. It's a Flexstone, um, I know yep. Corey's got it's it. Good one. Yep. I got and, the same uh, one, too. Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, it, it works great. It works great, yeah. and it gives you the versatility. Got the Snortweeds on it. Yep, yep, same one, same one. Um, let's see, uh, some of the other stuff. Uh, my knife that I carry, um, I've got a Winchester uh, three-blade. I believe it's a... I think it's a four-inch blade, but it's got um, a saw that folds out. It's got the uh, gut hook that folds out, and then it's got a regular, you know, just uh, a drop-point blade on it. Um, and I think it's like four-inch or four-and-a-half-inch blade. It looks real similar to the old Buck 110s, um, except it's wider, so it actually fits your hand pretty good. Nice. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't pay too much for that. I mean, you know, Winchester, believe it or not, I know it's, you know, all the mass produced and everything, but it actually makes, they make halfway decent knives. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I carry my fold-up binoculars, but the biggest thing that I'm, that I'm proud of is, is my bag itself. Um, it's the bottom part of, um, what is it, the uh, Remington Bighorn uh, backpacks. Uh, if you go and get a Remington Bighorn backpack, they have a bottom part that actually zips off and you can carry it like a fanny pack. Well, I don't necessarily use it as a fanny pack, but I do extend it all the way out, and I use it as kind of a satchel. Um, so as I'm walking and everything, you know, all my gears, you know, right underneath my arm, and, you know, I don't have to worry about, you know, it slipping down and falling, um, you know, off my waist and everything. So, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a nice, it's, it's not real big, but it's big enough to get everything. It's me so, again, Morgan. I lost you guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm real you know, real proud about that bag. I know Corey's got the same bag. I don't know if you use that bag. bag. I, I carry everything. I mean I carry the bag in the bottom part and just use it all. Okay. Um because there's always one thing that I go hunting with. It's not something I usually do on a regular basis, um, as far as day to day. But anytime I go hunting, I have it with me, and that is a thermos of coffee. I don't drink usually coffee unless I'm going hunting in the wintertime. Um, but I never leave without a thermos of coffee. The only bad thing is uh, a couple of hours into it, i got to climb down out of my tree stand and find a place to to uh, release the coffee. Um, and then <laughs> well, you're better than me. I just, I just do it up there. <laughs> I just do it on the coffee, you know, agrees with me. Sometimes it's one way, sometimes it's the other. <laughs> So, uh, you know, but I always take, you know, thermos of coffee and uh, some snacks and sandwiches because it gets lonely up in that tree stand and there's no activity. <laughs> yep. And now one thing one thing else that I carry that I don't know if anybody else carries, and I want to thank Sean because Sean turned me on to it last year. Um, I think he felt sorry for me and got tired of hearing me bitching. Um, but what I hunt with is I've got a Mankung recurve. 150-pound recurve crossbow. Um, I like it. It's nice and light. Um, it's got decent enough power um, uh, from, from you know what I've been you know shooting and everything. It, it seems like like it's like it's you know more than capable. Um, have not taken anything with it yet, but um, what I like about it is it's the width of of the limb is it's extremely tight. So. Um, you know, if you're up in a tree stand, you know, I mainly uh, ground blind hunt, but uh, being in a ground blind and then, you know, 
if you are up in a tree stand, you know, it gives you a lot more rotation to swing that thing. And, um, but on the downside is it's a bitch to get cocked. Um, it takes two men and a boy to pull that string back. And I'm, I'm not a small boy myself. And, uh, you know, even me, you know, about, about 10, 11 poles, you know, when I'm just out shooting it and getting it sighted in, you know, I'm about done. Now, you know, you should only pull it once during hunting season, but, you know, you, or during your, your hunt, but, you know, for the most part, you know, you need to be quiet, and just in case you need to get a second shot off, you know, you need to be able to do it smooth, fluid, not bring attention to yourself. Um, so Sean let me borrow his uh, cocking rope, and uh, I went ahead and tried it, you know, uh, sighted in my crossbow, and then I went out and I got the cocking rope myself. Um, it's it's great, you know, especially if you're hunting crossbow. It what it what helps out with it is, um, you know, it it makes a it makes a uh, a level pull all the way across. So you know, you know that that you know you're not pulling more on one side and everything. Everything's even. So that helps out with your um, with your error trajectory. And you're not, you know, getting, you know, one side of the string, you know, hitting the knock before, you know, the other. Um, it does happen. It will throw you off. Um, but I carry um, um, a cocking rope. And, uh, you know, I've, I've utilized cocking rope for, you know, all kinds of different things. And just because it's a it's an extra piece of cordage. Um, but, yeah, if you guys are, you know, uh, now compounds, you know, it's a, a lot easier to pull back than a recurve. But if anybody's out there you know, hunting with an old recurve crossbow, you might want to look into it. You know, it, it does help. Yeah, I got two things about that. I got two things to say. The cocking rope, I think it cuts at, what, like 50% on your pull, and it does help a lot. Well, some people, well, my old man, and there's a guy standing here now that are shorter people. My father's got a big old beer belly on him and plastic shoulders, plastic knees. Dad don't have it to cock the bow himself, so he utilizes that cocking rope. Now, the problem that I have found with the cocking rope when it comes to the, uh, <laughs> he's running his mouth, he's just short people, um, the reason I've noticed with it when you cock it, most of your newer compound bows will have a yardage adjustment on the side, you know, it's like one, two, three, four, five, and that lifts, that elevates you, you know, supposedly, quotes, you're in at 20 yards, you click it up at two, you click it up to three, you're good at 30 yards. I, I've never really had that work for me, but that's kind of how that's supposed to work. But what I have noticed with those cocking ropes is, say you sight in with your side dial at two, okay, you're all sighted in. When you pull that cocking rope up, it will actually hit that, and it will turn you to two and a half, three. So when you go out to shoot, you're, you are going to be off. So you've got to make sure that after you cock your bow that you – check and make sure that didn't get turned on you because it happens every time I use it on my bow. Now, another thing, if somebody's new and wanting to buy a crossbow, pay attention to what you get and actually pull and cock it. It is very heavy. Make sure that you're able to do that. You're able to do that from a sitting position because you might run in that situation in the tree stand where you got to jack that thing back with just your leg because you can't stand up and stand on it. And another thing you need to look at, they come in all kinds of lengths and like my father and like the man sitting here in my front yard, they're shorter people. Dad can't reach down and get a hold of that bowstring because their arms are short. 
and the bow's too long, and my old man's got that big belly. So you want to pay attention if you're looking for a new one that you can bend over and get a hold of that string without, you know, your arms being too short. Yeah, and especially in, in multiple situations. I mean, if you're up in a tree stand, you know, that's that's one thing. If you're in a ground blind, that's another. If, you know, you're uh, stalking, you know, that's another way. You know, you got to be able to, you know, get everything cocked back and, and uh, you know, be able to minimize the uh, amount of movement and uh, the attention that you're going to bring to yourself. Yeah, so, one of the and things that, you know, I suggest is when you're, you're tightening your bow and you're shooting it, Go to your tree stand, or you know, before the season starts, way before in the middle of July, and you know, put your block out there at different yardage and shoot from your tree stand and reload it from your tree stand. So when you're you know, when that situation comes up, you know, you're you've done it before and you know, you know, you're able to do it and to, you know what distances and everything. Um, but try shoot from your tree stand. Just don't always shoot, you know, from the ground on a block and say that you're good, um, because it does change, you know, with elevation and the surroundings. And now it'll be different, you know, come hunting season because the leaves will be off and, uh, you know, a lot of the cover will be gone. Um, but, you know, you still try, you know, cock it from the sitting position and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you'll be better at it when the time comes. And one of the other things, when you're scouting and you're up in your tree stand early, hang your hooks early. Don't try to hang them the morning you go out and go hunting to hang your bow on or hang your gear on. Um, because, for one, you can't see and you don't want to be making a lot of movement um, while you're out there. So, uh, you know, make sure you have everything set before you go out. That's one yeah, of like Corey said, I made in the beginning. Go ahead, Corey, I'm sorry. Oh, that was just one of the rookie mistakes I made in the beginning. I didn't set up any of my hooks or anything until the morning I got out there. And here I'm trying to get everything set up and in position, and I got deer walking in on me. Right. Like Corey said, you, you need to shoot your bow. You need to shoot your bow from an elevator. Because when you're shooting, you side in at 20 yards. You're shooting the hypotenuse when you're shooting out of a tree. That 20 yards is actually about 15 yards when, when you're shooting. Or that 20, I'm sorry, that 20 yards when you're up in a tree, you see that deer at 20 yards from the base of the tree, you're really shooting at 25 yards. Rule of thumb is whatever you judge that as out of a tree stand, say that deer is 20 yards, it's probably 25. They, there's, they say add five yards for shooting in an elevated position. But, yes, you want to make sure that you shoot sitting down because you will be sitting down in a tree stand. Some of these guys stand up and shoot, which you can get away with that. But that's another good thing to practice is sitting down, shooting, even if you're shooting uh, the compound bow. Sit down and shoot. You know, sit in your tree stand, sit down, get a full draw, because you may not run into the situation where you can't stand up. That buck's stuck in on you, and he's right there. And if you stand up, you're going to spook him. So make sure you practice a bunch of different scenarios. Another good place if you've got a lower house Get up on the roof and shoot. If you don't want to get up in a tree stand right then, right there, shoot from your roof. That, that gives you a little elevated position and shoot different yardages, like Corey said. I agree with the uh, with, with the shooting from an elevated position. With a compound, I, I shoot an actual compound bow. Um, sitting down and pulling a, an 80-pound bow back or 70-pound draw, you know, I got 70-pound limbs on my Matthews, so, I mean, it's the highest draw weight you can get for that model. It's a Matthews Reason 7.0. Nice bow. I really enjoy shooting it. Smooth draw, good release on it. But it's a lot harder to draw that bow back sitting down than it is standing up for some reason. Mainly because you have your feet planted and you got a wider stance when you're when you're drawing the bow. When you're sitting down, it's just a little more. It's it's also a lot harder to conceal yourself with a compound bow. Um, <laughs> it's just you're actually 
making a lot of movement, drawing your bow back and whatnot. So you kind of got to pick your your times a little better. But uh, just like with 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 crossbows, I mean, they have their uh, pros and their cons as far as what it is. Um, I like the fact with crossbows, you can use your shooting round in front of you um, for steady arrest. It, to me, it sounds like it'd be a more ethical shot. You have a better chance of hitting that deer where you want to. As with a bow, you know, you're standing up and you're kind of free floating around, and you know, people make bad shots. I mean, you're just putting another element in there. Um, it's it's one of those things you, you got to kind of take into factor for that. You got to pick and choose your shots wisely and make sure you're making an ethical kill. I made a bad shot on a doe last year as well. Um, she didn't go very far. She didn't run away, and I, and I harvested the animal. But it was more in fact that I hadn't really practiced with my bow a whole bunch. You know, I my sights were off. I bumped them or did something, and that's stuff you got to take into factor. You you got to practice. You got to get out in the tree stand. You got to shoot from your tree stand. You know, recognize your shooting lanes where you think deer are coming through, and making sure you can make the shots where you need to. Even posting yardage. A lot of people put pin tacks and stuff up in trees where they can tell, like, saying, hey, this is 20 yards, hey, this is 30 yards. At least it gives you an idea of where you're at. Yeah, see, when I'm sighting my bow, I don't measure out how far I think it is, or I don't measure out, say, okay, this is 20 yards, drive a stake. That's not the way I operate. See, I'm fortunate enough that I have shot a lot of compound. I used to shoot competition. I would shoot 3D. If you guys ever, you know, with a bow, want to shoot a 3D tournament, it's just like in the woods, life scenario, you put your foot on the stake, you have to judge the yardage on this deer or judge the yardage on this yardage on this hog. And that's a good way to get into a real hunting situation because you're not just shooting at a line to a target. You're actually shooting at an animal in the woods, and you, you don't know how far it is. You have to know your yardage. That's why when I do it, I don't sit there and measure out 60 feet, say, yep, that's 20 yards, I shoot 20 yards. I shoot 20 yards from what I think 20 yards is. If I'm wanting to slide my bow in at 30 yards, I'll look at it and say, yep, that's about 30 yards, and that's where I'll slide it. Because when I'm out in the woods, I can't tell the deer to stop and pull out a tape measure to see exactly how far that deer is. So I shoot 30 yards. It might be 35 yards, but I shoot it from what I think 30 yards are because when you're out in the field, that's it. Your, your instincts are going to be what you shoot for. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree there. I mean, I have pins on my bow, obviously. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bow. Um, I have a setup for 20, 30, 40, and 50 yards. I mean, 50 yards is a punch. A lot of people don't don't think it's that bad, and you hear people talk, talk. He took a shot at 70 yards. Yeah, well, 70 yards is not an ethical shot to me with with a compound bow. Not even with a crossbow, as far as I'm concerned. And arrows have they can hit a limb, they can hit a damn leaf, and throw that arrow off. You know, five yards by the time he gets to a damn target, you, you won't even be on board if you hit a stick yeah. or a limb or something like that. And then you um, hit them in the ass, and then they suffer and run off. Exactly. I mean, it's just shit like that happens. I mean, but um. 50 yards to me, I don't know if I'd take the shot. I'd have to be in a pretty wide open area where I don't think anything's going to happen. There wouldn't be any wind. But, you know, it, it's important to go out and practice with your equipment and, you know, kind of, you know, know what you're doing with it. You know, know if it's, you don't like this certain arrow you got in here. Take it out of your damn quiver. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the new broadheads even, they come with practice tips that they where they won't expand or they won't open or, you know, and you can shoot into a block with them. Practice with it. I mean, it's uh, it can't hurt. You're kind of getting a true feel of what that arrow is going to do when you're releasing it. So, I mean, that's that's some pretty helpful advice, I think. And and especially now, like I said, they come with the practice tips with them, so you can practice with that certain broadhead type or whatever. So, 
it's good to get that practice and, and know what that arrow is going to do because sometimes you put a field point in and you're practicing with your field point in, then you put your broadhead in it, and it don't fly the same. You guys are absolutely right. You know, practice makes perfect, and you know, knowing your gear, that's what's going to drop the deer the most, most mainly way. So, all right, guys. Well, hey, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. There will be Whitetail Archery Part 2 uh, coming up soon. Um, we're going to do it right before archery season uh, gets into full gear um, here with uh, uh, in Ohio. So is there anything else you guys need to add? Uh, I don't think so. Hopefully this year, guys, and if we're lucky enough, we butcher our own deer. Maybe if uh, we're lucky, I can uh, post a video here later on in the season showing people how I hang the deer up, how I skin the deer, and how we kind of go about butchering it. Man, that, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, that's nothing like good. Nothing like back straps and apple pie, right? That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for uh, you know being part of the the new hosting program we got, and uh, I really enjoyed this uh, you know hunting uh, episode, and I think that we'll be having a uh, a lot more of these since uh, it's coming into season. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, I want to say thanks for having us, and really looking forward to this new format. Uh, sounds like it's going to be a really cool deal. And, uh, you know, looking forward to more shows and helping out as much as I can. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. We're getting ready to put together a tree stand and run out to the property we leased and slam a couple more. So, uh, good intro for the day of uh, deer hunting. Yeah, can't beat that, guys. Well, hey, thanks again. And uh, to all our listeners out there, thanks for your continued support. Really appreciate it. Um, Hopefully you guys like the new format. Hopefully you guys like the new... uh, uh, the new hunting shows that we're going to be you know, sprinkling in here and there. Um, you know, for those who aren't uh, avid hunters, you know, just remember that you know we're going to do kind of like in every other um, where we're going to get into hunting and stuff. Just because um, you know it's a lot of the survival situations you can get into. A lot of it's because of hunting. Um, you know, lost in the woods, whatnot. And uh, you know, we'll be um, we'll be talking a lot more about that. And you know. It's, I think we're going to definitely be getting more into, uh, you know, the more specialized areas of hunting, uh, waterfowl, um, small game. Um, in fact, we might even break out small game um, into actual species. Um, I know I've done, you know, quite a bit of squirrel hunting. I know Sean is, you know, a maniac when it comes to to rabbit. So, I mean, just, you know, we, we should be able to break it out, you know, quite a bit. And uh, it definitely, you know, look for some of our other hosts, you know, joining in and uh, and uh, joining us, and you know, this is this has been a lot of fun, and I'm I'm really excited for the new format. You know, hopefully, hopefully everybody likes it too. So, Corey, why don't you take us out? Well, until next time, check out the uh, website www.survivaltech.web.com. Post to our forums. Call our, our new voicemail. Yep. Our, we have a new voicemail line. Um, which is I don't have it pulled up. Oh, yeah, shame on me. I actually uh you have to keep it going every month. You have to have, you know, at least somebody calling in every thirty days. And we were doing really good there uh for a couple months and then I let last month slip and I missed it by a couple of days. Could not get the uh the phone number back, so it's like all right, no problem, we'll just go ahead and put up a new phone number. So we do have a new phone number up there. Um, 
you know, it's it's still linked, you know, comes right to us. Just give us a phone call. In fact, if anybody has anything um, that they would like to add um, to this show or whatever, uh, go ahead and, and, you know, call the voicemail line and uh, you know, that voicemail we'll line is 206-337-5682. Once again, 206-337-5682. And until next time, stay alive, America. Later. Later, guys.